happen. And when we know these biblical accounts and we just, we've heard them so many times that we just breeze through them and the, the, the scriptural accounts become like white noise in the background and we're not even paying attention to what it happens or what is happening in the text and how significant this truly is. And because of that, there are things that we overlook. There's things that we take for granted. Uh, but this is significant because this really happened and because it really happened, it changed the world. And has the ability to change and transform you as well. So as we look at this text, I invite you today to, to try to dive in. To, to try to say, okay, God, what do you want me to hear? And what do you want me to see? And what do you want me to experience this morning? And then allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, and work through you so that you can, you can gain uh, maybe a new and fresh way to look at a story with which you are very familiar. So we're going to read the text. Look with me at the text at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? Guys, thanks for helping me out with that. And I realize that what week of Advent are we in right now? Week one. And who are we talking about? The wise men. Now, the wise men don't show up until after the birth, right? We, we can all agree with that. There's a lot of, you know, debate on when exactly they arrived. There's one person that I, I was reading, and they said that in their nativity set that they have, they leave the wise men on the other side of the room, right, until well after Christmas. Because they're like, no, they didn't really show up. Anyway, but the reason we're going we're gonna to talk about this now is because if you wait, right, the wise men get left out. And so let's, let's talk about them first and let that set the tone uh, for what we're doing. Uh, there, there's these men, the magi, we call them the wise men, and they're kind of an elusive bunch, right? We don't know exactly where they came from. We don't know who they were exactly or even how many of them there were. We tend to think of three because of the song, right? We three kings of Orient, right? And then we also think of three because there were three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Uh, there's a tradition that their names were Balthazar, I can't say that very well, Melchior and Gaspar, right? That's a tradition that's out there. But truthfully, we just don't know. There's very little we know about them. We are told they're from the east, but we don't even know how far east. Is it close east, far east? We, we don't know for sure. One of the things that we kind of, you know, that researchers and people a lot smarter than me have, have done is said, probably from the area around Babylon is a good guess as to where they came from. And if that was indeed the case, then these guys traveled about 1,000 miles on the back of a camel, one way. Does that sound like fun to anybody else? 
No, I, I mean, I, I can think of a lot better things to do. But the point is, this is an amazing expedition that, that these uh, men set out on. And the term magi originally referred to the priestly caste in Persia, but then it was more broadly accepted throughout history uh, that they were scholars or astrologers and magicians, which the term magicians is a little misleading because magicians during this time were the ones that were known to have something to do with medicine. And as far as I know, your doctor probably doesn't walk once you walk in and call them a magician, right? And so there's some terms that we kind of have to come to terms with and understand. Uh, the point is this. With, with all of that, there's so much from uh, this story that we just do not know, right? We can speculate. We can talk about it. it it's kind of fun to talk about. We just don't know. But there's also so much we can learn even in the midst of us not knowing. And I want to share three things uh, that kind of jump out uh, from the text that wise men, uh, wise women, wise boys, wise girls, wise people, if you are wise, here are some things that, that I want to suggest we should do. And, and for the sake of brevity, uh, I, I'm going to ask your permission to do something, and then I'm going to do it whether you give me permission or not. So I'm going to ask you to give me your permission. But as I talk through this, instead of every time saying wise men and wise women and wise children, I'm just going to say wise men, and that's kind of the generic term for everybody, okay? You go with me on that? All right, thanks, appreciate that. So one of the things we learned is that wise men follow the star. Wise men follow the star. Remember what the text said in, uh, in Matthew. It said, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So question for you, when was the last time you stopped and looked at the stars? I mean, it gets dark around here about 4.30, so you really have no excuse not to look up every once in a while, right? Uh, but when was the last time you really stopped to look at the stars? For me, it uh, was a month or so ago. Michelle and I were uh, staying in a, in a village outside, or in a uh, place outside the village called uh, Banyu. And on a moonless night, the, the stars just popped as we were walking. And it was just brilliant. And it, it, was, it was gorgeous. It was one of those things that, that when you're away from the city lights, and the stars are out, it's an amazing sight. Some of you may or may not know Michael Hurst. Uh, Michael, uh, his parents are here today, and uh, he joined the Army, and he is stationed in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is just a couple of hours from where I grew up uh, on the farm. And in our correspondence this past week, um, he wrote this in the letter that just, it just fit, and so I, I asked permission to share this and received it, so I just wanted to share part of what he said. He said this. He said, uh, your home state which is Missouri again, um, has the most beautiful sky I've seen in my life. Um, he says, I looked up at the stars and I was just blown away, like breathtakingly beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you get when you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? I know that when I am able to go home and, and I'm able to, to be out on the farm and, and just look up, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and you're reminded of how amazing God truly is and, and, and what he is capable of doing. And, and not to oversimplify things, but, but I would suggest there are a billion breathtakingly beautiful, amazing miracles overhead. And, and we often just simply don't slow down enough. We, we don't look up. <laughs> We don't appreciate those moments and those miracles, and, and because of that, it's easy for us to miss them. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And the danger is, if we're not careful, we stop staring at the stars. 
We fail to even notice them, and consequently, we stop following the star. Now, does that mean I think you should start an expedition and load up your camel and go? No. What do I mean by following the star? Well, Mike Iaconelli wrote in his uh, book, Dangerous Wonder. It's, a, it's an amazing little book. And, and one of the things he emphasizes is that as we grow up, we fail to maintain our sense of wonder and our sense of awe. He says that we need to see the world like the children see the world and as they experience things for the first time, their first snowfall, the first encounter with glorious ice cream, the first time they jump into a pool or hit the ball or figure out the problem or see a shooting star. We get to see this in our uh, two-year-old granddaughter, Eleanor. She just... She's just amazed at the smallest things. I was talking to uh, our neighbor down the street, and they have a, a two-year and four-month-old boy. And he was telling me how the leaves are falling, and he's out there raking, and his son is just going, right? Just taking it all in. He sees a bug, and he follows it. It's just it, the wonder and awe of a child of just taking it all in. And yet, as we grow up, we don't see the world that way anymore, do we? We see leaves to be raked. We see bugs that we hope don't get in our house. We, we don't see things the same way. With the, with the demands and the pressures of life, we're too busy. With technology the way it is, our world just keeps getting smaller and smaller, and we lose that sense of wonder. And, and while I'm as guilty as this, of this as anyone, I wonder what it would be like if we stopped looking at our phones and we started looking at the stars. Because what I'm suggesting is that This idea of following a star isn't following a star, but it's anything that would recapture your sense of wonder and and awe for God, anything that directs your attitude and your mind toward what God has not only already done for us, but what he's doing for us and what he continues to do for us. And I don't have the answer for exactly what that looks like for you, but what I do know is that in our text, what we find are wise men who are not only stargazing, But they're looking with some, as one writer referred to it, they're looking to the stars with this holy curiosity and a sense of dangerous wonder. Maybe they were the ones to understand that life is measured by not in minutes but in moments, and they captured that one. Because these wise men didn't just see the star, they followed the star. And this is where the story starts to get pretty interesting. We we read this, right? We read this account, and we think, of course, that's what they did right? Because we know that's what they're going to do. That's what they've done every time we've read the story. Of course they set out to go find uh, the baby, the, follow the star. Of, of course they set out on this adventure. The only thing we're thinking of is, did they stop at Wawa and pick up snacks first, or how did that work, right? How, what, what did they do? It, it, it's one of those things that this is a huge undertaking. This was a huge leap of faith. They set out on this expedition to find the one born king of the Jews. They set out to find the Messiah. And as a pastor, one of the things that has has just bothered me about this account is that I think about, in my mind, who probably should have found the Messiah first. You know, other than the shepherds who got the angelic, you know, announcement, they get, you know, of course, they get to go first. But who should have been the ones who were looking for Jesus? Who should have been the ones who were looking for the Messiah and recognizing that it was happening? Who should have been there first? And in my opinion, it should have been the religious leaders, right? They should have been the ones to bow down and worship. They should have been showing up with gifts to say, here you go. After all, they were in Jerusalem, just a mere hop, skip, and a jump away from Bethlehem, but they missed it. Instead, these wise men had to travel for thousands of miles to discover and experience Jesus. And when they discovered him, it changed their life. 
The wise men followed the star. It led them to Jesus. It changed their life. And if we are to be wise, we need to follow the star. We need to follow that which guides us and directs us and has us go back to who Jesus truly is, to his wonder and his awe, and we can discover and experience the life-changing love that he has for us. Wise men, wise people, they follow a star. And not only do they follow a star, but the second thing is wise men are joyful. Wise men are joyful. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Right? And that's a simple enough statement. And again, we read that and we go, okay, sure, that makes sense. But I'm not sure our English translations really capture what the text is trying to say. The New Living Translation says, filled with joy. Uh, ESV says, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which is a little better. But what they're attempting uh, to describe is this spontaneous combustion of joy that comes out of these men, right? Picture the scene. The star has stopped, right? They have found the baby Jesus, and they are spontaneously combusted with joy. Can, can you see that? They are overjoyed. They have made it. They have arrived. At that which they have been searching for, they found it. And verse 11 tells us what they did. They bowed down and they worshiped him. And how do you picture that in your mind's eye? How do we all picture that? Right? Quietly, reverently, holy, they come in and they lay down their gifts and they, they kneel and they worship and they, ah, oh, right? What if it wasn't that way? And I don't know, I, obviously I wasn't there, it's not written anywhere to know for sure, but these guys had just traveled a thousand miles, they were overjoyed at the sight of Jesus. M- maybe, maybe it was more like smiling and laughing and, and overjoyed and high-fived and going, hey, we made it, and they come in and they bow down and they worship, but instead of being quiet, they're like, here, we brought this for you, open it, open it, open it, we want you to see it. C- can you see that scene? What if that was more what it was like? What if they were just overjoyed and they didn't know what else to do except be excited? Do you get excited about Jesus? Not that there's anything at all wrong with being reverent and holy and bow. No, but do we get excited? Do, do we rejoice? I want to ask you this question. Do we rejoice enough? Do this with me. Think, think about your life. Think about your life for the past year and ask yourself this question. Did you rejoice as much as you could have or should have this past year? Did you slow down? Did you count your blessings? We just came through Thanksgiving. Did you really ever slow down and go, well, here's the things I'm really thankful for? Did you pick your head up and look around and enjoy the journey? Did you smile as much as you could have or should have? Did you hit your laugh quota for the day, as one author said? For me, I know I didn't. I don't. It's not something that I do well. I don't celebrate like I should. I'm not as joyful as I should be in my everyday life. It's a, it's a mentality that I've always had of you do not get credit for doing that which you are supposed to do, right? But maybe you should, right? Maybe that, that needs to change. We, we need to, to celebrate. And for me, I just need to tell people thank you more often. We need to celebrate people more often. We, we need to celebrate life. Obviously, we celebrate the big things, of course, but those small things in life as well because wise people are joyful. Because of joy, we have hope. 
we, we, we have these things within us, and, and we need to be joyful. And, and what we find is that joy can be found in the exact same place the wise men found it. Because joy is not a location, it's not a thing, it's not a possession. It is the person of Jesus. When did they get overjoyed? When they found Jesus, that was the source of their joy. True joy is found in his amazing love for us and his presence. And even when our circumstances are bad and and they may not change, we can still have joy because our focus can change. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because when our focus becomes on our shortcomings and our sin and the things that are not going right and all of our frustrations, then we're going to feel depressed, we're going to feel defeated, and not be able to rejoice the way we should in our relationships with each other or in our relationship with Christ. And our focus needs to be on the joy that we have because of who Christ is for what he has done, is doing, and continues to do in our life. And again, focusing in on Christ and, and having joy doesn't mean everything's going to be, you know, right and fair and just, but it, it does lead us into a relationship with God through Christ that has the power through the Holy Spirit to transform our lives as we rejoice in the life we have in him. And I think one of the things that we can learn from these wise men is that wise men are joyful. And so should we be. Third thing. Third thing we see is that wise men bring gifts. Uh, look again at verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, which is an interesting thing if you think Jesus was born in a manger, how long was this? Okay, we don't want to go there. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's, there's a lot we could talk about, but I just want to point out a couple of thoughts on this. I, I wonder... If we were truly wise men and women, if we were wise people, would we, like the Magi, look for opportunities to bring gifts? Now, I know we're entering into the Christmas season and being generous and giving gifts is the end thing to do this time of year. But what if that is what we became known for? What if that's something we did year-round? I had this conversation with someone um, a while back, and they asked me, um, how much money... I would like to have, right? How, how much, right? What's that, what's that number out there? And, and as I got to thinking about it, and I just had to, you know, have conversation with this person, and, and then various people, what I found is that often the idea is they want to have enough, right? Enough to do what? Well, enough to do whatever you want. And it's this attitude of uh, being able to say, no, uh, no, I don't want to work, right? I've got enough. I don't want to work. Uh, no, I, I don't want to wait. No, I don't want to settle. I don't want to not, I just want to, right? Uh, to do whatever. Uh, and, and enough to say, no, I don't have to. I don't want to. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about how much fun it would be to have enough to say yes all the time and just kind of flip that on its head. I think I, think I would enjoy a lot being in a position where I could say, yes, we can help with that. Where we could say, yes, we can meet that need. Yes, we can fulfill that request. Enough to just always be able to say yes. And, and I think it would be a lot of joy. I think it would bring a lot of joy and be a lot of fun to, to be a blessing to the people that I'm around all the time. Anybody else? Does that sound like fun to anybody else? Right? Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. To be put in charge of you know, any type of, of huge trust. And then you can be like Oprah and be like, you get a car. And you get a car. And you get a car. And you, right? All this, and just be able to just, yes, all the time. So if, if anybody out there wants to put me in charge of your quasi-billion dollar charitable trust, I can, I'll do my best to give it away, right? 
But here's the thing. It doesn't always have to be something financial to be able to say yes. Some of the greatest gifts I've received, and I would guess some of the greatest gifts you've, you've received as well, has been a word of encouragement or a phone call or a text or something small. It, it may not even take a lot of time or a lot of effort or any money at all, but it's significant. But it's a challenge to try to figure out how to do that all the time, how to be wise and how to bring gifts, how to say yes, how to be a tangible presence of grace to the people that I encounter. And the more that I thought about this, the more I began to realize and the more I was convicted of, of this truth, that I already have enough to live that way. I already have enough to live in the yes, to do what I can, when I can, as the opportunity presents itself. And while I may not be able to do everything, and you get a car, you don't get a car, you don't get, nobody gets a car, but, right? And while we may not be able to do that, we do have the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. In one person's life, in, in two, in, in a significant way, as opportunities present itself. And as I really thought about, the more, uh, thought about that more, I, I was more and more convicted of the fact that not only am I in that position to be able to say yes, but you are as well. And I wonder what it would look like if we, as a people, began living in the yes. Began saying yes as individuals and as families and as small groups and as, as discipleship classes, as, as a community of believers, if we took the opportunity to say yes, to say yes and to bring good gifts because the, this is really what the wise men did, that they brought gifts to Jesus. And when the wise men brought these gifts to Jesus, uh, at first glance, you might think, what were they doing bringing those gifts? You don't bring myrrh to a baby, right? That just does not make sense. And yet, there's a whole thing we could talk about, it, about how gold, frankincense, and myrrh were the perfect gifts for the situation and what was about to happen. But at first glance, it doesn't make sense. What does a baby boy in Bethlehem need? Right? He needs a, a toy chariot or a you know, David versus Goliath lunchbox or a Samson action figure, something like that. Right? That's, what he, that's what he needs. But these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these were perfect gifts, not just for Jesus, but for Mary and for Joseph and what was to come. And the amazing thing is that, that God provided their need through these magi who traveled some 1,000 miles to deliver them. These gifts were perfect for Mary and Joseph and for Jesus. And in the same way, your gift, that which you have, it's going to be perfect for that person who's in your presence. It's going to be perfect for that person who is in need. It, it may not always seem like it. It, it. it may not seem like enough. It may not seem like it's the perfect thing. But, but when you do what you can, it is perfect for the person that you are helping and that's why when you give food, right, and you bring it and you drop it off, and you bring shoe boxes to send away, when you bring backpacks, when you, when you purchase a bagel, when you're out delivering food, when you're helping in the garden, when you put in your, not only your tithes but your gifts and your offerings, you, you're giving to help people around you, and you're giving the perfect gift, and you're, you're living in the yes. And I wonder how much more yes we could all do as a community of believers if we were all willing to give the way God's called us to give. To live in the yes. To be able to say yes. 
how cool would it be that every Sunday I could get up and go, hey, we've got an extra X. What what do you want to do with it? Right? How fun would it be to truly live in the yes? Wise men bring gifts. And so the challenge for us as we kick off this Advent season is to be like these wise men, to follow the star. And what I mean by that is to be open to what God is trying to show you and to have the courage to to reach out and follow that star, to, to have an encounter with him, to allow him to change and transform your life, to rejoice, to be overjoyed with the life that you have and what God is doing in your life, the relationship you have with others, the relationship you have with him, and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform you to change your life, to bring wise gifts, to say yes and to do what you can, when you can, with what you have for those who are around you and to be a tangible presence of grace in the community around you. What would it be like if we lived like that? If we were wise like the wise men? And when we think about what it means to truly be wise and what it means to to bring wise gifts, which is the, the title of this lesson today, I can't help but think about the gift that God gave us, the wise gift that he gave to us, and in his wisdom, he gave us of himself. He gave us Jesus. He gave us Emmanuel, God with us, that which we are looking forward to as we celebrate Christmas. Through his love, he gave of himself, and he invites us into a relationship with him. It's a relationship that we celebrate as we gather together. It's a relationship that we celebrate in our daily life. It's a relationship that we celebrate as a body of believers when we participate in communion. Uh, The ushers are going to go back and and prepare the trays, one which has the bread, which represents his body, the other the juice, which represents his blood. And as we look at that, we think of the gift of love that God has given to us, the wise gift that before we even realized that we were in need, he gave us what we needed. And we look toward communion as a celebration of what God has done for us and as we anticipate and we slow down and we focus in on him we see time and time again how joyful we can be because of him the hope we have because of him and the way we can live our lives in response to the love that he has demonstrated for us so as the as the uh, trays are passed we invite you to partake to take of the bread to take of the juice And when you're ready to drink and to eat and to celebrate who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and the wise gift that God gave to us, let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that we we can come before you. Thank you, Father, that you have given us so much, that in your wisdom and in your love that you've come into our lives and, and you want to transform us to be more like you. Father, as we focus in on you and your sacrifice, may our hearts be in tune with what you're trying to say to us and how you're trying to work through us. May we truly focus in on you and on you alone. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.